Welcome to Severance Radio, a Nevada Reads on-air book club. I'm Heidi Kaiser. Over the course of 13 episodes, Severance Radio will dissect a single book, Severance, the satirical dystopian novel by Ling Ma. This book is a mixture of immigrant family story, corporate satire, and global health crisis. It's also the story of Candace Chen. Candace is a millennial first-generation American office drone who meanders her way into adulthood and ends up finding a world devoid of choice and feeling. During our live weekly radio broadcast, listeners heard an excerpt from the audiobook followed by discussions featuring literary luminaries, educators, and subject matter experts. For our podcast listeners, we leave out the book and cut straight to the conversation. Think of this as your own personal book club in podcast form. If you haven't read Severance yet, that's okay. These conversations are meant to serve as an accompaniment to the novel. Though, full disclosure, some of our guests, in addition to making insightful points, do indeed hint at plot spoilers. So read the book. Okay, got your book? Great. Let's get started. As Severance readers know, Candace and the group of survivors go on a stalk, during which they encounter a family in a fevered state. Joining us to talk about public health amid a pandemic are public health experts Maria Chagog and Jennifer Carson. Chagog directs health programs at UNLV's Lindsay Institute. Carson directs the Dementia Engagement, Education, and Research Program in the School of Community Health Sciences at UNR. Jennifer and Maria, I am so excited to be talking to you guys today about this part of the book. Welcome. So this section of the book contains several passages about loneliness. At the very beginning of chapter one, Jonathan breaks up with Candace. And then here in this section in chapter three, she tells about how her college boyfriend breaks up with her over email. And then after moving to New York, she has that period of time where she gathers with some of her other friends for a while until they get jobs and she finds herself alone again, wandering New York, taking pictures. And then like even at the shark fin soup party in her apartment, right? She has that quote, I was enjoying myself, but it was an insulated enjoyment. I was alone inside of it. So Jennifer, I was kind of wondering your thoughts about how loneliness and solitude play out in a public health crisis, like Shen fever or like what we're going through now. It's very interesting, Heidi, because in Severance, what we see is how Candace was lonely prior to Shen fever. And similarly, what we know well is that the plague of loneliness afflicts Americans at a very high level. Um, and that was prior to COVID-19. And, um, and so absolutely now in, in light of COVID-19 and um, social distancing and trying to keep people home and, and safe, uh, it really just exacerbates the loneliness that so many people were already experiencing. Maria, I wonder about your thoughts on that too. Especially early on when she moved to New York and she was kind of, you know, at first everybody was with her and they kind of had this community. And then as people got jobs, the community dwindled. And, you know, the fact that there was these, that they could go and live in New York and not have to pay rent or not, 
or be able to live and do the coffee house thing, at least that's how I think of it, is, you know, it's kind of like that's a luxury that I don't think we all recognize. And then as time goes on um, between work and between life, and especially like in this pandemic, you know, there's people who can't even be safe if they wanted to simply because of their living situation or their necessities. And so I think that sometimes we have to look at the idea of what we can do. So, you know, like when people are like shelter at home, that's particularly hard for people who may be homeless or maybe couch surfing or maybe, um, you know, and so then they feel alone. And especially when you start looking at how some of the homeless live, if they're living in aqueducts and viaducts, and they don't come out and they don't have electricity, then their sense of loneliness is, can be even further exacerbated and actually also exacerbate any kind of mental um, issue they may be challenged with as well, because they don't have the litmus test of other humans to be able to say things are okay or not okay. Yeah, then there's this really interesting line when they come to the Gower's house, when uh, Bob Bob's group comes to the Gower's house and um, they're about to go in and stock it. And there's this line in in his benediction or his prayer that he gives where he says, please allow us to be fair and merciful. So we don't know yet what that is going to mean exactly. But um, Jennifer, what does it imply in a situation like this that the non-fevered are in a position to dispense mercy to the fevered? As a, a gerontologist who primarily works um, with people who are living with dementia, I found myself increasingly uncomfortable <laughs> with the juxtaposition of the fevered and the non-fevered, and that the fevered are seen as less than human, that by virtue of having Shen fever, they have now lost their status as, as human beings. Um, much in the same way that people I work with in the field of dementia care and support feel that they lose their status as human beings when their cognitive abilities begin to decline. Our culture is also very ableist and we tend to value people by what they do, by how productive they are, by what kind of mental gymnastics they can engage in successfully. And so now the fevered, they have diminished consciousness. They're on this infinite loop of ordinary activities. And, and so, you know, Bob and his gang are um, now viewing these people as, as less than human. And, you know, he, he suggests that they should just have this mercy kill to put them out of their misery. I think it was in chapter two or three, you know, it's the first time where Bob introduced the fact that they, that they are doing a service you know, that they only take what they need and that if and then they shoot those in the head that, that are just in the process of doing the rote things as their memory diminishes. Right. And in chapter two, when they first introduce it, you're kind of like they, they only did, they discuss the fevered and that they are just doing these road activities. And so I know I thought I'm like, but if they're still doing the road activities, they're still living. And they talked about how they could go through and they could see all of the, the their memory books or things of, of sentimental value to them. That, you know, when they were doing their shopping or doing their, I, that, that's what I'm calling it, shopping, just in other people's homes. But, you know, when they were doing all of that, the, the, he discusses that, you know, they they saw evidence of these people's lives in their memory and that he, he used as a, as a justification almost. Yeah, I actually wanted to ask you about that, Maria, about the, the rituals and the customs, because um, when 
you know, when when the when the group, when the gang comes on the Gower's house, they have their own little ritual that they go through, right? Where they stand in a circle and they take their shoes off and they say the prayer and then they say their names. And then they go into the house and then we see the Gower family, once they're rounded up in the dining room, they start going through this ritual of setting the table, pretend eating, clearing the table. And when I think of rituals and customs, especially from a you know a social standpoint, I think of things that bind us and keep us together. But here they take on a kind of different aspect. What did you make of that? When we look at it from a public health place, there's the cultural rituals, and then there's just the biological rituals. You know, most of us get up and use the bathroom sometime throughout the day. Most of us drink water, especially living in the desert. Most of us do these things that are kind of like we have regional, there's so many, there's just not cultural rituals. There's regional rituals. You know, with me living here in the desert, there's things that we do like no one else. We always make sure we have water in our car in the summer. Whereas when I lived in a, in a different climate, you know, it was always making sure you had your salt and your shovel and your, and your warm blankets. So I think that there's different levels of rituals that go into every one. And then we always are creating other ones to create a sense of, it's the rituals that create the sense of community. And how do you see that playing out right now? Like in the, in the current pandemic that we're in, do you see a parallel there? I was going to say there's uh, many uncanny parallels uh, to the current COVID-19 pandemic. You see how Shen fever disproportionately affects certain groups much in the same way that we see COVID-19 disproportionately affecting certain groups and the injustice of that. What we, we see early on in the book are, um, you know, this, are these explorations about many of the um, structural oppression that is current in real life America and the way that it plays out um, in through Shen fever. And sure enough, we're, we're seeing very similar pa- parallels to COVID-19. You know, work conditions are not just a United States problem, but they're a global problem. And we see that oftentimes, you know, people do not want to respect the value of human life over the product in which they're making. It is definitely a public health concern because it impacts every other part of their life, not to mention just the quality of the, of the materials of, of the actual item that you're getting. Just a, a summary thought um, on that subject that I think sh- that um, Ming Law is doing a, a beautiful job of showing us what happens when you value the economy and the production of consumer goods over the value of human lives. And, and sadly, uh, we are seeing this lived out in real time uh, right here. And, and like Maria is saying, not just in the United States, but it, it's really an international atrocity and it, it needs to be addressed now. Thanks so much to Maria Chagog and Jennifer Carson for sharing their insights that still ring true. Severance is a 2020 Nevada Reads book selection. Nevada Reads is a statewide book club that invites readers from across the Silver State to come together and share in the love of reading. Severance Radio, a Nevada Reads book club, is produced by the Beverly Rogers, Carol C. Harder Black Mountain Institute, and Nevada Humanities. Support from the Nevada Center for the Book, the Institute of Museum and Library Services, the Nevada State Library, and the National Endowment for the Humanities. Our engineer is Phil Corbett. 
Our writer is Sara Ortiz. Production by Lily Allen, Mir Arif, Stephanie Gibson, Kathleen Kuo, and Layla Muhammad. And I'm your host, Heidi Kaiser. Thanks for listening. Thank you.